Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. The book of Obadiah. This is the first time I've ever preached out of this book. Uh, I didn't know it was there. No, I did know it was there, but uh, it's really tiny. And to be honest with you, if we weren't going through the Bible together, this is not a sermon I would pick for my first sermon of 2020. This is not a sermon I would want to start a new decade with. And this is why I was joking earlier about, I hope the sermon goes better, because this is a tough one. This was a tough assignment this week. And um, yeah, there's a, we're talking about the justice of God, God of justice. And uh, um, you know, God is, ha, has been so faithful to his people as we've read through the Old Testament. We've seen God's people be saved by the mercy of God and only to turn against him again. But today we're going to talk a lot about God's judgment and uh, his final judgment as well. So again, we're in the book of Obadiah. If you're still looking for it, don't worry, you still have time. I want to talk about this guy just for a second, Johnny Cash. Uh, I I like Johnny. I like Johnny Cash music. I don't like country music, but I like Johnny Cash. And uh, you know, listening to some of his music, it's obvious uh, there are times in his life where he was not following Jesus Christ. Like for example, when he wrote "Cocaine Blues," I'm sure during that time uh, he was not serving the Lord. But there is times later in his life where he writes some profound songs about his relationship with the Lord. And one song he didn't write, but that he did perform uh, and was released three years after his death is a song called God's Gonna Cut You Down. And uh, yeah, it's pretty bleak. It's actually a warning. It's a song of warning. And, And this guy, you look at his face, you see the years on his face. And if you know anything about Johnny Cash's story and his struggle, uh, with drug abuse for most of his life and, and, uh, you know, just, just his many, many pains, he's speaking, you can just hear in this song that he is, a he's speaking a little prophetically. He has seen what the world has to offer and he's experienced much of it. But here he's, he's, he's sharing in this song that, that, uh, if you're a gambler, if you're a crooner, or a, a, not a crooner, a, a womanizer, uh, God is going to cut you down. God is going to, he's going to cut all the evil down. His judgment is impending. It says, he says it like this in the song, you can run for a long time, run for a long time, run for a long time, but sooner or later, God will cut you down. As he sings it, it's almost impossible not to get chills. Stacy probably heard me listen to it dozens and dozens of times this week as I was just kind of listening to the words and actually found on YouTube the music video that goes along with it. And in this music video, there's just all these famous people singing along with Johnny Cash, and I couldn't help but think, you, do you know what this song is about? This song is about God coming to judge the world. And those who have not chosen to serve Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and receive the forgiveness that his blood provides are going to be cut down. And uh, it's just during, it was released during a time where there was no Kanye West conversion yet, okay? And here's Johnny Cash who who had this horrible reputation through the 50s and 60s and 70s and, and here he is singing a song that just people weren't, 
I don't know, even, even ready to hear about the judgment of the impending judgment of God. But they warn us that God does exist. They warn us that He will judge the quick and the dead. They warn us that He is just in doing so. And this is the, what we find in a lot of the Old Testament prophets. Now, I'm an Assemblies of God pastor, and we believe in the fruit of the Spirit manifest in words of wisdom and of knowledge, and sometimes those words are made public in a service. And I'm always weary of those words that are given in a service that are always encouraging. Because prophetic words in the Old Testament, they were words of warning. They were like, get right, you know, quit your idolatry, turn from your wicked ways and follow the one and only true God, right? They weren't like, I love you, you're doing great, keep it up, keep, just, you know, you just need a little more, you're the little engine that could. Those are not the message, those are not the messages of the Old Testament prophets, they are words of warning. They are words of turn from your ways and follow the Lord. So I'm not saying that they're not of God, these words, I'm just saying, it makes the little hairs on the back of my neck stand up like, okay, what's, what's going on? What's going on here? We need to remember that God remembers. He remembers sin. And there's going to be a time when he will judge the world. And in this message, we're going to see that though he judges sin, even his judgment is an act of compassion. And that he makes deliverance available for every single person through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where our sins are no longer held against us because we have received his grace and his mercy through Jesus Christ. God has made the way. We just celebrated the birth of him making the way a few days ago. So now we're ready for scripture. The book of Obadiah, a warning to the Edomites. The Edomites are the descendants of Esau, brothers of Judah. And uh, Judah is sacked at this point. Israel also is in, is in complete chaos and the Edomites are sitting in their hilltop fortresses laughing. When I was reading this and talking with Stacy about it, I thought of Lord of the Rings and the Dwarf Lords. Uh, yeah, let's geek out just a little bit, all right? In their fortresses and thinking, looking at all the pain and suffering of the world and thinking, that's not us. We're here. We're in our, we're in our mountain castle. We're rich and ha, 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 you stink, right? Kind of mentality. That's what the Edomites have going on right now. So let's listen to God's response. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord, considering Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Isn't encouraging? Encouraging. Prophets are encouraging. Go down with me now to verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that the strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in their day of ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people 
in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over her disaster in the day of his calamity. His, excuse me, his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Continuing on verse 15. For the day of the Lord is, a, is near upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. How many of you know that this is a continuing theme throughout the entire Bible? As you have done, so it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return to your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephleth, no, Sheflah, shall possess the lands of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Shepherthod. I can't say that word for some reason. Shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up from Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So, See, I told you this was going to be encouraging and friendly and happy, and you're going to be so glad you came today as we talk about God completely cutting off a nation and destroying all of their inhabitants. It's good. Three points we can take from this lengthy scripture in this very short book in the, New, in the Old Testament. Number one, God hates arrogance. When we talk about God, we mostly talk about love. I think there's a good reason that you don't hear a lot of preaching out of the book of Obadiah, right? This book is hard to preach from. You know, pastors are like everybody else. They want to, I do want to bring words of encouragement, and there are words of encouragement in the book of Obadiah, but we can't have all the encouragement and none of the judgment. They go together, right? The reason that we're saved is because we realize that God's judgment is coming, and we we had no place to stand before God except for guilty. And we confessed our guilt. We said, we are guilty. We throw ourselves at the mercy of the court, the righteous judge. And through Jesus Christ, the judge can stay just and offer us forgiveness. That's the beauty of what happened at the cross. Punishment was meted out. It just wasn't meted out to you. It was meted out upon his broad shoulders that took the sins of the world upon him. So here we have the background. Edom is on their hill they're untouched by everything that's happening in Judah through the, uh, in, excuse me, in Israel through the Assyrians and Judah through the Babylonians. They've somehow survived this. And instead of helping those few who are left, the weak, the sick, the poor, who are left in these two nations, they're laughing. And they're actually considering going in and sacking it again and taking whatever's left over. The Edomites are brothers of Judah. They are, they are the descendants of Esau, and they're rejoicing at Judah's downfall. What is their sin in this? Who hasn't done this before, right? Have you ever had an, a perceived enemy who 
finally got what they had coming to them? Nobody? How many of you watched Christmas Story over the last couple weeks? Anybody watch that, right? How many of you are like just cheering for Ralphie when he's wailing on Scott Farkas, right? He's just beating him in the nose and he's, you know, of course he's using a bunch of foul language, but he's just beating him up until he's bloody, right? And blood covers his green teeth, right? You're just glad that Farkas is getting what he has coming to him. And sometimes in our life, that's exactly who we are. There's somebody who's been making our life miserable, who's been making, or maybe other people's life miserable, and when they finally get what's coming to them, we rejoice. And we think maybe how can we get in on it, right? How can I just get in there and give that guy a kick in the stomach while he's down? Eden believed that they were untouchable. And I think the imagery that's used in Obadiah is very interesting. He says, it says, number one, that their pride had deceived them. But they were in the clefts of the rock, right? They're in the clefts of the rock. That's kind of the imagery that we use as Christians, isn't it? We're in the clefts of the rock. We're underneath the wings of the eagle, right? And that's the imagery that Obadiah is using to describe how Edom thinks of themselves. Their arrogance deceived them. They thought they were untouchable. And because of this, they perversely rejoiced at the suffering of others. And God's response was to be very, very active in cutting Edom down to size. And this is what I was referring to as we were praying for our nation and for those deployed, was that God sometimes executes justice through fire, like he did with Elijah on Mount Carmel, and it's supernatural. But he also exercises justice through nations, and sometimes not righteous, not righteous nations. And that's why I said what I said about Trump. Just because justice may have been executed against a very evil man does not mean, it does not make our nation righteous, okay? It doesn't make our nation righteous. It just means that God executed judgment because all of the nations that attacked Edom were unrighteous nations, but God used them to bring judgment. And so I'm just saying, I'm not saying we're unrighteous either. What I'm saying is the, the two don't necessarily go together, okay? They don't have a correlation. God works through men to bring salvation, the message of hope through Jesus Christ. We are to proclaim the gospel. He works salvation through, through, through his people, the church, but he also brings judgment to the world through men as well. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking on that? Okay. I think it's a weighty thing to be the vessel through whom God's judgment comes, right? That's like a really weighty thing. Like, I would not be a judge in, a, in Texas, right, and sentencing people to death. I would find that very, very difficult. Uh, I would definitely be, a, I would probably be praying a lot about those decisions, for sure. But he's, God is personally active in bringing these nations, and he, it says in Obadiah, he stirs them up to break the treaties that they have with Edom to attack and utterly destroy them. This demonstrates that there is arguably no vice hated more by God than pride. Pride and arrogance. He hates it and he detests it. It says in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I hate them. God hates arrogance the way he hates idolatry because arrogance is idolatry. The worship of oneself 
and the provision that you can provide for you and your family, that worship, is idolatry, and God hates that. Everything we have, we have because of the grace and mercy of God. Everything in our life that's good, God brings into our lives. Everything that in, that's in my life that's sinful and bad, that's me. That's me. I brought that in. But everything that's good, the ability to provide for my home, to preach in this church, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and many of you, that is of God. That's a gift from him. Not because I'm particularly charming. We know that's not true, right? We know it's not because I've earned this place behind this pulpit. We know that's not true. It's the grace and mercy of God. And it's not just for pastors and missionaries. That's for every single one of us. We find ourselves where we are by the grace of God. The second thing we can take away from this is God's judgment is a promise and it is swift. I don't want to get too pointy here, okay? But God's judgment is a promise and it is swift. God was right to judge Judah. Remember, before God judged Edom, he judged Judah. He was right to judge Israel. And he's right to judge Edom, and he's right to still judge those who persist in their sin today. He is still right in judging them. There's two ways to respond to God's judgment. The first way is the way that Edom did so. They rejoiced at Judah's judgment, the misfortune of their brothers. They gloated over their invulnerability. Look at Judah's destroyed, Israel's destroyed. Here we still are, right? God's blessing us. They mocked those who were suffering. But I think it's very clear that that's not how we should react to God's judgment, that we should react to God's judgment in humility. When we see those being judged, those suffering, we should react humbly, remembering that we are saved by the grace of God. I think about what, if, what would have happened if 25 years I once again would have denied the grace, the, 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 the grace of God, if I would have resisted the grace of God. Once again, at the invitation of somebody witnessing to me, a friend sharing the gospel with me, if I again said, no, that's not for me, that's for you, good for you, instead of accepting Jesus 25 years ago, where would my life be now? I can't even imagine it because the path I was going on was so clearly self-destructive, so clearly miserable. Uh, the best decision I ever made was just to say yes to the grace of God. And I am reminded of that when I see people suffering, when I see people suffering because of sin, because of their, even if their own unrighteousness, even if it affects me, even if it hurts me, I have to remember that it hurts God first and that their sin is the cause for their suffering. And God's judgment, though it seems harsh, may also be God working in their lives and is God working their lives to bring about reconciliation. You know, it was a time in my life, and I know Jordan has also shared, it was a time in our lives where we were at the end of ourselves that we came to Jesus Christ. And that's where many of us have to find ourselves because our pride and our arrogance and our self-worship gets in the way. We are worshiping something, ourselves, right? And we're actively worshiping ourselves until we come to the end of that and we realize the futility in worshiping ourselves and then we start worshiping the God of the universe. Amen. Okay. I, like I said, we need Wes in both services. We need a reminder 
that we are saved by grace. Too many of us rejoice when we see God's judgment poured upon our perceived enemies. And when God's judging others, it's an opportunity for us to move in with compassion. And our compassion doesn't always mean alleviating their physical circumstances, but it means pointing them towards the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it is moving in compassion and taking care of physical needs, and, and, and those two are not mutually exclusive. But we ought to be careful to not become a- amateur providences of God as well. Oswald Chambers warns us many times throughout his devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, that one of the greatest dangers Christians face is that of becoming amateur providences of God, alleviating suffering without bringing the message of hope in Jesus Christ to the situation. That is a problem. In the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose the evil of this world. Things like racism in every single form, greed, selfishness, vice, every single form of sexual immorality, not just homosexuality or the one you don't practice. We should hate all forms of sexual immorality, including adultery and pornography. We should work to provide for the orphan, the needy, the abused, the aged, the helpless, and the sick. We should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life from conception till death. I read this week, and some of the great news coming out this week, all the great news comes out at the end of the year, that 42 million babies were aborted this year. 42 million. That's a staggering number. Church, we need to be active in advocating for the sanctity of human life. When a nation, a European nation, claims that they have gotten rid of Down syndrome By killing all the babies with Down syndrome, we should not share in that victory. Amen? They haven't gotten rid of anything. They just really succeed in killing a lot of babies. Christians should be ready to work with men men and women for any good cause. And I would say even if the cause is not explicitly Christian, we should be willing to partner with those who are doing good things, right? And bringing uh, hope and compassion to the world. Providing clean water in Africa, that's a noble thing. We should be engaged in that, right? Equal rights for all people, we should be involved in that. We should be involved in in caring for the sick and helping the homeless. We should be involved in that. We should be involved in things like Project Rescue. We should be involved in compassion ministries. And as Christians, we should seek to bring every area of our lives, including our work lives, under the sway of Christianity, making sure that we are practicing righteousness and truth and brotherly love everywhere we find ourselves. Thessalonians says this, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 3, verse 12, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. God's judgment should remind us that our time is short. Our time on this earth is short. Jesus is coming to judge the quick and the dead, and our time to be a witness and share the love of Jesus Christ with those around us is short. It's a primary motivating factor for the church of Jesus Christ, and it's exactly what we should be doing, working hard to make sure that every single person we know has the opportunity to respond to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Lastly, 
the Lord will judge the nations and deliver his people. If there's anything we've learned through the Old Testament is God keeps his promises. And God will keep his promise to the church of Jesus Christ. That those who have put their faith in him will be saved on the day of judgment. Now, here's the thing about judgment. We're talking a lot about judgment. We say Jesus will return to judge the world. Will he come to judge Christians in that judgment? No. No. The judgment that the world faces is completely different from the judgment of works that Christians face. face. This is why, as a Christian, there's no judgment. Judgment's already been passed on you. You have already admitted your guilt, haven't you? Haven't you already admitted your guilt? Haven't you already thrown yourself at the mercy of the court, the righteous judge, Jesus Christ, and said, I cannot save myself, I am guilty of sin, and I need a righteous Savior? Haven't you already done that? Is there another judgment for you? No. Your sins have already been judged. You have already confessed you are guilty and you have already received Jesus Christ as the propitiation of your sins or the atonement of your sin. Your sin has been atoned for in Jesus Christ. It's not that punishment is postponed or that God forgot judgment. No, this is how he remains just at the same time as he justifies He's just because he has judged your sin and you have been found wanting, but you are not punished for your sin. He punished his own son, Jesus Christ, for your sins. Judgment has been carried out fully on the cross. You are saved because of what he has done. He took the punishment for your sin. You have been judged and you are guilty. That's true, but we have grace in Jesus Christ. This judgment is for those who have denied the grace of God those who have set themselves against God, those like Edom who have rejoiced at the suffering of others, who have trusted in their own selves and their own idolatry, they will be judged. And this is who Johnny Cash is talking about. These are the people who will be cut down. And this is not a chance for the church to rejoice. And if we're guilty of sins like Edom, it's the sin that we hide ourselves in the cleft of the rock, Jesus Christ. And we look upon the world and we say, ha, 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 you are finally getting what you deserve. We're saved. We sit in the cleft of the rock and instead of getting out of the cleft and moving into the world and working in compassion and mercy and grace, we sit up there and we laugh and we mock and we watch God's people suffer. We watch God's creation, humanity suffer and we do nothing about it. And what Bonhoeffer say about that? By not doing anything, we're complicit in the very actions that are bringing the harm, right? We're as much a part of it as those who are actually doing. That's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says the exact same thing here in Obadiah, that because you did nothing, you are equally responsible for what was done. Now, church, this is a confusing thing because we think, I saw some of you nodding about the judgment. It's important that you understand about judgment, that this great white throne of judgment, this judgment that's coming upon the earth, that it's not for the church of Jesus Christ that you have already confessed your guilt and you have, you have been pardoned, not pardoned, but the punishment has already been received by Jesus Christ on your behalf. Christians should be moved with compassion for the nations, not sitting in the cleft of the rock laughing at them and just watching their mis- misery. God has never intended for us just to sit here in church and have church together until he comes back. Right, This is part of it, but this is not the extent of what Christianity is. He has called us to come here, to recruit, to, to, to worship him, to be filled with the Spirit, that we might go into the world and be kicked around like dogs. 
That's the truth of it. That's Christianity. You will be hated, Jesus says, for my sake. You will be reviled and despised. Why do we come to church? Because this is the one place that we shouldn't experience that. And while we're here, we should be encouraged and strengthened by messages, I guess, like these. And then go out into the world and proclaim the gospel. The last point I want to just bring to us is that God is just. And like I said earlier, he remains just while justifying. And this is the beauty of the cross because in this, he remains just. I don't believe in universal salvation. I believe in the universal atonement. I believe that Jesus died for every single human being that has, that has lived, that will live until his return. I believe that that his grace is extended to every single one of those people. But I don't believe that they're all just saved because of what Jesus has done. We are still free to practice idolatry. We are still free to deny the power of the cross. We're still free to deny God. And God is just in judging those who set themselves against him. But not only... Not only will judgment happen in the end times, not only will the great white throne of judgment and you know, every single person bow a knee to Jesus Christ, but on that day, the final restoration of his people will take place. Like we talked about last week, we will finally experience everything that God has intended for us. And I think that's a message of hope. That's a message of promise. Again, this entire study through the Old Testament, a year and a half we've been going through it. We see, the, we see men and women failing God and God restoring them. He did it over and over and over again. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. We can trust that, that we will be saved and we will be with Jesus forever. Sometimes it's hard to find hope in the prophets. Sometimes you really got to dig. I can't wait till we get to another book, okay? Next week, I think is going to be a little, little better. But while God is just in judging sinners, we have to also remember that he is faithful to reward those whom he has made the promise. That's us. The proud will fall, but the humble will be restored. For now, what do we do? We wait. We pray, we rejoice in having received his mercy, and we do so by sharing compassion and concern to all those who are still burdened by sin, those who are still underneath the judgment of God, the restorative judgment of God. See, I think this is also key as we look at Edom and we look at the nations who have been made to suffer throughout history that every single time that they have, they have an opportunity to turn from their wicked ways and follow Jesus. And all through the Old Testament, we see this as well, that every nation has this opportunity to fear God. We, too, have an opportunity to fear God, right? Our nation today has an opportunity to turn and fear the Lord. The nations of the world have an opportunity to turn and fear the Lord. So we don't rejoice over war or the pain and suffering of people or nations, we move with compassion. We pray. We ask God for peace. I tell you, every, we, we should always be praying for peace. Always praying for even in 
what seems impossible situations. But if there can be no peace, that God would use that judgment to turn nations towards Him. I pray for Iran. I pray for Iraq. I pray for North Korea. I pray that these oppressive, violent, fear-mongering regimes be torn down if that what needs to be, but not just for that sake, but that the whole nation might turn towards God. I want to tell you, I believe a revival can come to Iran. I believe revival can come to North Korea. I don't believe this salvation is exclusive to white faces and round eyes. I believe that God chooses to save the nations of the world. Amen? Amen? And uh, uh, I'm not going to rejoice over their destruction. I'm going to pray for them that they would have an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.